the best work that I've done has been either stuff that I have done on my own or is the work that I have gotten as a result of the work that I have done on my own. Welcome to the Creative Chats Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artists, makers, and content creators, where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at MikeBone. And you can check out some of my visual art on my website, which is MikeBrennan.me. Also, I would love to extend the opportunity for you to join our free Facebook group called Daily Creative Habit. If you are a creative who wants to show up more consistently for your creativity and craft, then head on over to dailycreativehabit.com and request to join the group today. I look forward to seeing you there and having you part of that community. Now on today's show, I have a guest, Evan Stern. Now Evan is an actor, musician, creative storyteller. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I know you are going to as well. Um, Evan, you know, we talk about his background and just growing up being a performer and how he moved to New York City and he's performed on New York's Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center. So uh, he is just a tremendous actor and creative. And now he has turned his attention to podcasting. He has a show called Vanishing Postcards where he loves to go and revisit his home place of Texas and spotlight people and places that otherwise might seem to have been forgotten. He's documenting and he's storytelling. He wants to shine a light on these special people and these special places. And I love how he has just gone about uh, just taking his interests and kind of bringing them all together in this forum of podcasting. So I want to highly recommend that you go subscribe to Vanishing Postcards right now. I mean, you're listening to a podcast, so hey, right, what's one more? Find it on your favorite streaming platform and uh, be sure to tell Evan that you say hi and that you heard him here on Creative Chats. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Evan Stern. Well, Evan, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. Dude, I'm excited you're here. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So my new friend here, we're going to get into some uh, amazing things. I know it. And uh, not only about the work that you're doing, uh, but just your story and just sharing some life stuff, you know, because I know that's where people hear other people's stories and they go, oh, thank you for sharing that. I'm not alone. Or I really needed that word of encouragement. Um, So yeah, this is going to be good. So I would love to start with just give us like that, you know, and sometimes people dread this, right? But that little snapshot of like, who are you? What do you do? Some context for people so they know where we're going. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm talking to you today from New York, and I always tell everyone I've lived in New York long enough that I have earned the right to call myself a New Yorker for whenever I'm in the mood <laughs> to do so. It, nice. it's a, I'm not always in the mood. Sometimes I am, but I, I, I've earned that title when when I'm in the mood. Um, but I'm also very quick to tell everyone that I am originally from Austin, Texas. I will always be from Texas and I'll probably die in Texas. So I'm, 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 a, I'm bicultural in that sense <laughs> between Texas and New York. I, I get to borrow a little bit of the best of both worlds and 
you know, just kind of molded into to my liking. Um, but the reason that I live in New York now is pretty simple. Um, I'm an actor. I came up here for, for school to, to study drama, uh, and I ended up staying. And um, I, most of the work that I have gotten to do in the city um, has actually been as a singer. Uh, in, in recent years, I've discovered I prefer the word concert artist because I feel that's a better representation of the work that I do. Singer is a very general description. Um, I actually don't think of myself as a musician. I think of myself as an actor who sings. And in the performance work that I do, the storytelling, it, what, what is said before and after the whatever song I present is as important to me as the song itself. So I like to think, I, I prefer the term concert artist because I feel like that encompasses a bit more of, of what I do and what I have done. Um, but the current project that I'm engaged in right now uh, is a podcast entitled Vanishing Postcards. Um, it's very different from anything I've done up until now. I mean, had you told me three years ago that, oh, you know, in, in 2021, you'll be releasing this podcast and you're going to devote pretty much the entirety of 2020 to working on this podcast. I would have said, you know, a podcast, what? <laughs> um, but basically, Vanishing Postcards, I like to describe it. It's a documentary travelogue in which listeners get to follow me on a road trip exploring places that don't often make the pages of glossy magazines. You're not going to see them on Instagram. You're not going to read about them in Condé Nast. Um, but these places are really representative of broader cultural histories. Um, it's started off as a project. I was just going to do this to teach myself a little bit about audio production and just learn a little bit about audio storytelling. And it very quickly evolved and snowballed um, into an incredible project. Uh, the first season has 15 episodes. Uh, in many ways, it is by far the most challenging and ambitious project I have ever undertaken. But it's also a project that has come together with incredible ease as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. There's so much good stuff in there. Um, I want to I just pause now and unpack some of that stuff so we don't go by too quickly. But... When did you know that you were a creative person? Like, did you start with acting as a child? It, was that something that that you were like, "Hey, I'm I'm good at this," and you got uh, some some uh, acknowledgement and approval on that, and so you continue to excel in that? Or what did that look like for you? Well, I was an insanely extroverted child. Um, actually, not in the beginning. My my parents say that I really. My mom always said that I wouldn't speak until I could speak in complete sentences. And then once I started talking, I never really shut up. <laughs> but I think for me, it was I, I had a lot of energy as a kid. I was very outgoing and I needed a place to channel and put that energy. Um, and it was just I was always performing just for, you know, the aunts, the uncles, whomever was in front of me, I was putting on a show for them. Um, so much so that I think when I was about three or four, my dad built a little stage for myself in the backyard. So I would have a place to put that energy. Nice. Um, and so it, it really is something that was always in me. Definitely. Um, I'm, I'm infinitely less extroverted than I was <laughs> as, as a kid <laughs> at this point in my life. Um, and I think the creative journey for me with performing, it became a little different as, as I grew up and, and, and got older. Um, I mean, I think that I needed a place to put that energy. I probably enjoyed that attention initially, 
But as I got more involved with acting in particular, it really became more for me about seeing the world from another person's point of view. Mm. Um, if we're talking about acting, and then if we talk about singing, uh, it really is just kind of the the joy and beauty of storytelling that you get to enjoy and communicate through that medium. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Was it something for you that you felt like you just had to do this, right? Like there's no other option? Absolutely. My, my mom often my mom often regrets that she says you were so good at geography. I mean, why didn't I ever put you in geography, dudes? But it was just <laughs> it was it was in me. I definitely I, I knew. I was very clear that I wanted to to be an actor and a performer very early on. Mm. And so you said that that eventually led you to New York City to go to, to go to school, right? Yes. Um, what was your experience with that? Like, were you coming out of a place where you were um, experiencing a lot of wins and, you know, uh, not a ton of like the, the typical, you know, oh, wow, this is a steep competition. And you know what I mean? Like, sometimes people have that experience where their eyes are opened a little bit and they're like, okay, this is a lot harder or this is a lot more than I thought it was. Did, did that happen for you at school or how did that, or did it, you know, like talk to us about Well, it's that. been an, it's, it was an interesting journey. I went to, um, it, I went to Sarah Lawrence, which is a liberal arts college just outside of the city. Um, and it's a, it's a terrific school. Um, I got a broad-based liberal arts education while I was there. I got to study a lot of uh, other you know, I got to study, you know, anthropology, I got to study creative writing, I got to do a lot of stuff that wasn't just limited to, to drama. Um, at the time that I was there, I remember being incredibly frustrated that I wasn't getting the conservatory experience. Um, and, and then you enter the real world, I was I was very fortunate in that I was able to get a, a job, I got a year long contract uh, at a theater in Pennsylvania. Um, so I was able to go to work fresh out of school. Um, but then you move to the city and it's a, just a whole different ballgame. And you realize very early on that no doors are about to open for you. And, yeah. um, I, you know, I look back at, at my time in the city for almost 10 years and it was just I, I mean, we're talking I mean, it, it was it was definitely a fight. Um, but when I got to the city, I realized, you know, as I just said, that I had to do something on my own if I was going to get any sort of notice. Um, which is how I ended up uh, in the cabaret singing world. Um, and I noticed that I was going to have to do something on my own. I initially thought about writing a one-man show for myself, but I realized that to put together a one-man show that I myself would have an interest in sitting through, much less anyone else, it was going to take uh, more time than I had the patience for. And it occurred to me, well, Cabaret, the songs are there, the stories are there, the histories are there. So I put together a show that focused on the songs of the World War II era. Um, and it was basically, I kind of told the story of World War II through the popular songs of the day. I incorporated letters, research, um, some memories that I had of my own um, grandparents. Um, and I was, it, it was very fortunate. I was able to get some good press out of it, some good uh, award nominations, attention, um, which led to opening up the doors uh, for me uh, to receive a number of excellent uh, performing opportunities, which have just continued over the years since then. Um, but I think that is an important story because as I said, when I was at school, uh, I was really annoyed that I wasn't getting, you know, that real disciplined, serious actor training 24 right. seven. But 
I mean, had I just done that, I mean, would, wouldn't I have been just kind of like, you know, you have those computer nerds who really only know how to speak in terms of computer language and code yeah. and whatever. Uh, I learned how to think beyond just that while I was there at Sarah Lawrence. While I was there, I learned how to write. I learned, I learned how to think independently. And I think that that absolutely gave me the strength to go out on, on my own and do what I did. And when I look back at uh, everything that I've done here in the city, it's the best work that I've done has been either stuff that I have done on my own or is the work that I have gotten as a result of the work that I have done on my own. Mm, yeah. I love that you said it taught you to think um, because so many times I think, there are people who get so hung up on methodology um, and technique, but when you have to think for yourself and figure out, like you said, you're not waiting for somebody to come and present an opportunity. You're not trying to just completely play by the rules of whatever gatekeepers are there, but you're like, okay, what is it that I can do where I am right here right now? And start figuring that out. Even if you don't necessarily know, is this going to work? How is this going to work? I'm sure you had a million questions, right? <laughs> and I think that's when that can be the differentiator for somebody who continues on something or says, you know what, I give up because this is too hard or, or, you know, I don't have enough luck. I don't have the right opportunities. I don't know the right people, whatever other things that sometimes people say. Um, I love that your story includes that you 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 stepped into a moment and said, "I'm going to do what I can do and uh, and and learn from it and grow from there." Um, so I just want to make sure that I highlighted that for people because I know that somebody listening right now they may have nothing to do with um, you know acting or singing or the creative expression that you have, but they're on a path right now where they're like, "Hey, I need to make some choices or I need to do something differently," and that they need that bit of information from your story right now. So I appreciate that for sure. Well, yeah. And I think that we, we live in a society where we have come to associate success with visibility. Hmm. Um, you know, if you have like a Mason who's been out of work uh, because of an economic downturn, um, you're not going to say to them, oh, so you're a Mason. So what do you really do? You know, are, <laughs> right. you, are you waiting tables? That's what actors have to, to contend with. And, yeah. and put up with, oh, so you're an actor, but what do you really do? And to, to that, I just say that you are always going to be an actor. And if someone isn't going to be there to, to give you a job, make your own. Mm -hmm. you, you, have, you have it within your power to, to do that for you and yourself. And that work is, you know, obviously, yes, it's so much better when we can get paid unquestionably. And I'll be the first to agree with that. But the craft is the same, and that doesn't mean that the work that you do on your own or, you know, with your friends is of any less value than what you're getting the paycheck for. Yeah, yeah. So, such great words there. That's wisdom for sure. Um, how, no, so you, you did this and, and you, you got some notoriety, you got a little bit of success from that, right? So I'm assuming then that led to some other opportunity where you built on that. So mm -hmm. continue on the story a little bit. Well, so, I mean, I, I've performed uh, regionally uh, in theaters over the years, um, and I've done, I've done readings and, and workshops here in, in the city throughout my time here. Um, I've, uh, as a result of the singing, um, I, you know, had the extraordinary privilege. I conceived a show 
Uh, one of my favorite lyricists of all time was Johnny Mercer. He was famous for Skylark, uh, many of the best standards you've ever heard. Um, I did a show that was focused on the, the lyrics of Johnny Mercer. Johnny Mercer is unique when you look at the pantheon of great lyricists of the American songbook. You know, most of them are ethnic New Yorkers, you know, Gershwin, Irving Berlin. Um, Johnny Mercer was kind of a patrician from Savannah, Georgia. And so I was looking at the influence of the American South in his lyrics. Uh, you know, what was kind of unique about Johnny Mercer is many of his lyrics had great nature imagery in them. I could go on and on and on about this, but um, I had the great opportunity to perform that show at Lincoln Center. Um, and uh, also, I, I also had the privilege to perform as a soloist at Carnegie Hall um, on the bill of a concert that was dedicated to the composer Jimmy Van Heusen. Um, he wrote uh, many great songs for Sinatra, Come Fly With Me, uh, Polka Dots and Moonbeams, it goes on and on and on. So um, those are many, many, it, I, I have had many great opportunities, but um, at the same time, I mean, I have always, throughout my entire life here in New York, I have always had to pay my bills. And I mean, talk to me, I have paid my bills. I have I have tended bar for years. Uh, I have uh, worked as a New York City tour guide. Um, and I have also done a lot of work for uh, hospitals here, medical programs, hire actors to facilitate simulations for their students. And so I've played just about every ailment or <laughs> case you could possibly imagine. Uh, I've been the 19 year old who was smoking crack and had a panic attack. I've been the graphic designer that they had to uh, diagnose with cancer. Um, I've, I've done it all. So I, I have learned, I take no shame in that. I have learned as much from my work experience as I have from my performing experience. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and I love that you put it in that context because we're not these one dimensional beings, you know, it's not like, Hey, okay, you're an actor, singer, you know, and that's it, but you're, you're being informed by other, other interests, other areas of life um, and experiences. And I think that's what, you know, in my opinion, makes great work is that when you can put all that stuff together, like ingredients, and it starts forming something that wouldn't have happened outside of those, you know, um, I'm hearing a lot in your story also of like historical uh, things, you know, and, and interest. And I see where this is leading, of course, but um, w was that intentional? Like, it, was it, you know, was there like a natural uh, interest in history from an early age? Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but I have just always you know, it, it, who wouldn't want to take a trip back in time at, at some point? I, I was talking about a friend about this today. I mean, we, we were both talking about how we had this shared love and fascination for the 1920s. And she said, well, where do you think it came from for you? And I said, well, I grew up in a very casual city in a very casual age. And I feel like that kind of spoke to me and, and resonated with me in, in many ways. But um, apart from that, though, I mean, I think that it's very important to know where we come from. And, you know, our, our past tells the story of our present. And I think it's really important that we honor and remember that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's easily lost in today's culture because everything is so fast paced and also new and innovative is always championed 
I mean, because so much of what we rely on is technology driven. And so that sets the tone for there's always a new iteration. There's always, you know, an update and an upgrade and whatever. And that's just never ending. And that can definitely trample the sense of, uh, of history and of, of the things that you can't quantify the same way, you know? Um, so I love that you've expressed that and that you continue to figure out ways of like bringing that into what you're doing, you know? Um, so with, with all this stuff, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that it's kind of now coming to this place where you're, you're, it's like the ingredients, right? It's coming together. And so for your podcast, um, and storytelling, how did you pivot into that? And like, was that like a, was it intentional that you had this idea and then you said, okay, I'm going to go now map this out and figure out what this looks like. Or was this just kind of like fell into it? (laughs) They say that our lives speak to us in whispers. Mm -hmm. And this was just something that just kind of slowly started to build over the years. Um, Like everyone over the last 10 years, I fell in love with podcasts and audio storytelling. I think that the moth kind of served as a bit of a gateway drug. Then you start listening to some of the other podcasts that are out there. Like you must remember this. There's a great podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones, which is all about the history of country music. Um, and I, it, it just started percolating, you know, I'd really like to, you know, maybe there's something that I could do. And, and it was around this time too, based on the YouTube logarithm, for whatever reason, I would start seeing like all of these videos of YouTube travel vloggers and travel influencers. And I would look at these videos and think, well, it, it didn't speak to me because I would look at these videos and think, well, you're not really talking about the place you're saying, oh, look at how cute I am in this place. And (laughs) and I thought it was ultimately pretty disrespectful to the places that some of these people were visiting. Hmm. Um, And and, and I didn't see the way that I like to travel reflected in any of this. And initially, I mean, I, you know, one of the beauties of being immersed in the gig economy is, you know, if you're responsible and you plan it right, I've, I've kind of, most of my work for years now with COVID, just about everything's gone, but that's, you know, it's given me the time to work on this, which is a whole other story in and of itself as well. Um, but I, I was able to have the luxury of taking some time off in the winter to get away from the cold in New York. And initially, and for many years, I have gone to Mexico because it's cheap and it's warm. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to put together a podcast that was a musical travelogue of Mexico? Um, you'd go to the different regions of Mexico using music as a portal to understanding that region. You know, you'd look at the tradition of the Calle Honeada in Guanajuato, you know, you'd go to Veracruz, you'd talk about harps. And I went so far as to produce a pilot episode um, in the city of Merida, which is in the Yucatan about the Trova tradition, these guitar trios they have. And it's one thing to be writing in a vacuum where you have these incredible ideas and you're working on this project, you're writing it, you think, oh my goodness, this is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be the best thing ever. And um, you even, you, you find a editor, you start teaching yourself about audio production. You're like, this is gonna be sweet, this is gonna be sweet. And then you sit down and you listen to what you have done and you think, my goodness, I have missed the mark so terribly. Um, it was, hear, hearing that experience, it was, it was a perfect example of show, don't tell. Um, mm-hmm. In what I put together, I was talking all about the city of Merida. I was talking about the history of Yucatan, but you didn't feel it. You didn't get that sensory, experience. And I realized that in addition to that, um, 
I am a proficient Spanish speaker. I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker. Um, so it's challenging to establish the level of rapport with someone where they start cutting loose, telling the good stories. But in addition to that, if you dub over that in English, you're going to lose so much great color and shade and nuance to what's going on. And I realized very quickly that I needed to educate myself much more about audio production. Um, and I said, well, you know, it, it's not it's not Mexico. But if there's one thing I know, it's that Texans love to talk and they're good storytellers. And let me go down. I'm going to go back home. Uh, and this was this would have been January of 2020. I said, let me go back home and let, let's see what stories I can find down there. And I, you know, I didn't even it was really just kind of an opportunity for me to to teach myself and learn about doing this. But very quickly, it became evident that this is what I needed to be doing. And the show very quickly evolved into vanishing postcards. Hmm. You know, it's funny because sometimes we need those projects that push us to learn a new skill or to flex a new muscle. And then we find we find our way like clarity comes through action. That's what I say a lot of times, you know? Um, and I think so many people, they they wait for the perfect whatever, right? Well, when I figure out the exact plan or path, when I, when I have these resources, when I have the skill set, whatever, then I'll go ahead and do whatever. But most often it's actually the other way around. It's when you just move into that and you figure it out as you go. And yeah, you're gonna make some mistakes and yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have some things that, that you're gonna have to course correct, but that's part of the process also. Um, and it becomes part of your story and the, the overall story. So I love that. Um, when you're talking to these people, right? Like how, how do you just, I mean, did you just show up and you said, okay, I'm, I'm picking this location and I know this person, or I've heard from somebody that I should talk to this person. Like talk a little bit about like, how did you actually, what was the, the gateway in? <laughs> so basically, yeah. And I'll tell you a little bit about, I, I know I, you know, kind of gave a little bit of a summation of vanishing postcards a, a little bit, but I will just, before getting in, I'll just talk a little bit more about basically what happens in each episode. Um, each episode really is kind of a snapshot of a place. And if there is a thread that all of the places that I visit over the course of the series have in common, it's that you don't know how much longer some of them are going to be around, or they really are, these places are representative of older traditions that are coexisting you know, in our modern society. And the first place that I decided to go to um, was this dive bar um, that's in Austin called the Dry Creek Cafe. Um, and what's really unique, so it, it opened in 1953 and this bar catered to cedar choppers. Cedar choppers are kind of like this Appalachian subculture that migrated down to central Texas and they made their money by chopping down cedars in the hill country. Um, you know, we're talking real rough and tumble, you know, just, you know, rough, rough crowd. Uh, but you go there today, um, it's this, this bar is now surrounded by mansions because it's beautiful countryside that surrounds it. It's now like the priciest zip code, one of the priciest zip codes in Texas, yet this bar is still there. And I, so I wanted to use it as an opportunity to explore kind of, there were a lot of levels of history I could explore with the place, but I did not tell, this was of course pre-COVID, but I did not give them a call in advance. Um, I didn't say, hey, I'm gonna be showing up there. I just walked into that bar with the microphone and um, I started talking to their bartender, their angel. And um, I just used all the charm that I could possibly muster. And I was eventually able to get her to talk to me. 
Um, and so in the beginning, really, I was just kind of showing up at these places unannounced for the most part, you know, barbecue restaurants, dance halls. Um, I went to many different places unannounced. Um, COVID absolutely changed all of that. Um, you know, what, what happened is, is the series actually initially did get picked up by a network, which ordered, uh, you know, a season, you know, that deal ended up falling apart. But uh, basically, I did end up you know, needing to fulfill this, this episode order. And I was working under the constraints of COVID and it changed. Uh, I had to think more creatively about the kinds of places and people that I could profile as a result of that. I no longer had the luxury of just walking up to someone and talking to them. Um, but uh, it, I think it was really good because the, the quality of the work didn't end up suffering at all. It just got, it, it, it actually made for you know, it, it, there was much greater variety in the season as a result of that. Hmm. Yeah. So did people like, though, get what you were doing or or did you get like a lot of like, uh, <laughs> you, know? you know, people people ask me that. And what I found is that people were so interested that someone took an interest in what they were doing. Hmm. Uh, people were eager to to tell their stories and talk about their traditions and, and whatnot, um, you know, there, there were a few people who were probably hesitant at first, but you just start talking to them and listening to them. And, you know, once they realize that, you know, you aren't out there with an agenda um, that, you know, they actually did have great interest. I mean, every now and then you would encounter a subject who, you know, might not be the most extroverted conversationalist and you have to figure out what kinds of questions you have to ask um, to really get the the good stories, but eventually you get there. Mm, yeah, and I'm sure that then kicks in a whole other skill set that you have to learn because you're. This is on the fly. This is conversation, and knowing how to relate to people, different types of people in different types of settings, uh, mm-hmm. that takes, like you said, time, practice, opportunity to just learn, and figure that out. Um, well, but as I said, I feel like all of my experience to a certain play, played roles in preparing me for this. Uh, you know, as I said, I worked for years as a tour guide in New York, where basically it was my job to, you know, you you, you talk about what you're seeing, but you know, you got to walk like a few blocks in between point A, point B. You got to talk to people in, in between that right. time. Uh, the same is true of bartending. The same is true of many other endeavors. Yeah. Yeah. That I love that that it's 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 prepared you for this, um, and I think some of the best things come about when we see that they're connected, and when we're aware of that connection point, right? Because then it's it doesn't seem like okay, this is just something I'm trying, or this is a random, you know, project in the midst of whatever else I'm doing in life. Um, but it seems a little more grounded, and a little bit more uh, purposeful, you know. Um, what besides the the historical end of thing and the storytelling, right? What else is it that you hope this accomplishes? Well, what I notice, it doesn't matter if you're in New York, it doesn't matter if you're in Texas, where you are, every time an old business closes, you will have all of these people come out of the woodwork, you know, crying, saying, Oh my goodness, this is terrible. This is this is the worst thing that that's that's happened. 
But you know, my question always is, well, when was the last time you went and supported these places? I mean, it, 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 it's a lot of money. It's a lot of hard work to keep these institutions going. And there, there are people who are dependent on these places. And if you're not supporting them, I mean, they're, they're not going to be around. And beyond that, too, I do believe that cities can do a much better job of helping some of these older institutional businesses out. I mean, I, I do believe that, I mean, they're... You know, cities can discuss, you know, different tax abatements. I mean, you, they can discuss rent control measures. Um, you know, some of that certainly goes against the tenets of American capitalism. But, I mean, I think that, I, I think it is an important conversation we have to, to have. I mean, in New York, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what you know, the city starts to look like post-COVID. But I know pre-COVID for years, we had this issue of high-end blight where you'd go to a neighborhood like the West Village or the Upper East Side, you know, wealthy neighborhoods, um, you know, a lot of money, but there's nothing but vacant storefronts because no one can afford the rent there. And then what can't afford, well, you're looking at Starbucks and, and Chase Bank. And I believe what ultimately saved New York City from completely going under in the 1970s was its culture. Um, you know, what saved, you know, People didn't abandon New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina because it got swamped because of its culture. Um, people moved to Austin because they like the culture there. That city is changing immensely. You have to figure out ways to, you know, change isn't something we should be afraid of, but we have to figure out how we can preserve our heritage and traditions and adapt and grow with the, the change. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're right that that helps bring awareness and you know, I'm assuming a lot of these places, because they're older institutions, they're, they're not the ones that are on Instagram, like, hey, come take a selfie by my mural and hashtag whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, you know, that's that's what a lot of, of, of we're seeing more of in the younger generations that are coming up through. I think they will lose out um, when they don't get exposure to these things. And so I think the work that you're doing is important, spotlighting these people and these these places. Um, and in a way too, it's, it's interesting because you're talking about history and you're sharing stories, but you yourself are becoming part of that process as well, because if this place goes away, they can look and, and hear your podcast. They can listen to these stories and find out just like we would look today to go, oh, someone took some photos you know, in the 1940s of this place that's no longer around and these people who I don't know who they are, whatever. And it gives some kind of context and informs your, it's documentation. You're doing the same thing right there. So it's interesting that you're becoming part of something uh, that's much bigger than you, you know? Well, I, it's, I, I hadn't really given too much thought to that, but I, I appreciate the, I, I appreciate that thought very much. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's true because like, and, and even in terms of location, there are some people who may never go and see these places physically, never talk to the people that you get to talk to, but you're opening a window for those people so that no matter where they are, they can listen to this podcast and interact in that way and go, okay, I'm seeing a slice of life that I would never see otherwise. And that's important. Um, and even in terms of like just humanity in general, knowing, yeah, you know what, we live in different places, we have different, you know, cultural differences and, and whatnot. But if something helps me understand somebody else more and makes me more empathetic and 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 
gives me a context for somebody, I can care more, you know? Um, it's, it's, I absolutely it's agree. I yeah. absolutely agree. And, you know, we, we do live in a horribly divided age. Um, I believe that the divisions that we have in this country right now, in terms of politics and race, are completely unsustainable. Uh, but I do believe that culture is one of those rare areas that provides an opportunity for agreement, yeah. um, provides an opportunity for a bridge. And that's really what this show is about very much so. Mm, I love it, love it. So what what are the plans? Like what else is coming on this? Or have you thought that far out ahead of far as like how things might change or adapt? So absolutely. So um, as I said, this, this season, it's uh, 15 episodes. Um, it's the result of a 1500 mile trip across Texas. So I've been to all sorts of different regions many different pe uh, people and places covering the entire spectrum. Um, and it is, uh, it's my goal to take this, uh, to, to take this to the national scale for season two. I would love nothing more than to travel the length of Route 66 from Oklahoma to California, collect oral histories and stories along the way. There you know, all sorts of just jewels I would love to mine out there. Um, it's uh, the, the goal is you, we do have to find a way to to get some monetization going, um, but we're going to get there. Um, we I already have had some interested sponsors and conversations and um, we're off to a really good start with the show so far. Digital Trends um, has already named us one of the best podcasts of 2021. And um, we're, you know, we have our audiences growing great enthusiasm. Um, and so uh, we are going to work towards building this into a profitable endeavor. But to do that, um, we just I really, I'm mainly just focused on audience building and growth at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, people have said, are you going to set up a Patreon? Well, I, I got to prove that this is a story worth listening to before I ask anyone to, to do right. something like that. Yeah. And so that's really what my main focus and attention right now is, is on audience building. Yeah. And you're giving people an invitation into a story a bigger story. And uh, I think that's when people can really rally around something when they're like, yeah, you know, that's cool. I want to be a part of that in whatever way. Uh, and that starts with awareness and listening. And yeah, so, and that's a whole other skill set to figure out of like how you do that, how you get things out there, how you connect with people on that level too. So mm -hmm. as people are building things, as people have these creative ideas and they're putting it into the marketplace of going, okay, now, how do I get this in front of the right people, you know? Well, I, I do like to think, though, that there is a, a great space for this kind of work at this moment. Um, if I were to compare this to anything that has preceded me, um, there aren't a lot of people who remember the name Charles Kuralt, but growing up, um, Charles Kuralt was the original host of CBS This Morning, and for several decades, he had a program called On the Road. Um, where he was just traveling around to small towns across the country, just talking to people there, getting their stories, talking about the work that they were doing in these places. Um, and he never had any kind of agenda with any of them. He, he often said, you know, a reporter's job, a journalist's job is to investigate. And he said, that's not really what I do. He said, I'm just kind of there to enjoy the ride. And uh, he said that might be unsophisticated, but I think there's a great need for that right now. Mm, yeah, more of a conversationalist. Mm -hmm. than an Absolutely. Yeah. And, and at the same time, too, is I have so much respect for anyone who is willing to allow me to put a microphone in their face and mm -hmm. record them that 
I mean, who who am I to like judge or comment on on anything that they're really right. saying or doing? Yeah, yeah, love it. Awesome, awesome. Um, we're almost at the top of our time, but I would love to ask you one last question. And um, is there something that that you've been given as far as advice uh, or or just a a way of thinking that has really been helpful for you? Maybe it's in the context of the podcast. Maybe it's just in the greater scope of creativity and storytelling, but something that that you can return to again and again that you may be able to share with somebody else right now. Well, I mean, it's a it, it's a cliche. It's it's a total cliche, but I absolutely do believe, and I always come back to that phrase that luck is the result of preparation meeting opportunity. I, I absolutely believe that to be true. Um, another phrase that I like is just be the person that you could have used when you were younger. Um, and, you know, this is, I, I can share an, an inspirational story that, you know, just kind of, it, it, it just takes so little time to, you know, recognize and support someone's work and show respect for their work. And, um, you know, a story that, you know, you asked about, you know, the challenges that I faced in my early days in New York. I mean, I remember um, I, I was waiting on a subway platform and I was at the time I was making most of my money selling merchandise souvenirs at Broadway theaters, you know, just a very low level position. Um, and I was at the time I was also working on this one man show that I was going to be presenting. Um, and I'm, you know, just I'm tired and I'm, I'm standing on this uh, platform getting ready to go in for work. And I look to my left and there's this incredibly striking older woman. And our eyes meet. And in that moment, I realized that I'm looking at a great actress by the name of Mary Ann Seldes. Um, she was one of the great, um, great stage divas up there with Angela Lansbury and countless other stage Broadway divas. And um, I started talking with her and we started, you know, we talked about mutual friends that we had. You know, she talked about the projects that had fallen through since the financial crisis hit, this, that, and the other. Um, we shared a conversation all the way down to 42nd Street. We parted ways. Um, she blessed me with a kiss. And after that, I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm going to send her an invitation to come see my show because why the, why the hell not? <laughs> and I sent, so I, I sent an invitation in care of Juilliard, which is where she taught. And, uh, you know, about two weeks later, I was getting out of the shower. My phone rings and I pick up the phone and this voice on the other end said, hello, is Evan there? And I said, yes, this is Evan. She was, Evan, this is Marion Seldes. You know, I, I want to thank you so much for your kind invitation. It sounds fantastic, but I forget, it, it's my brother's birthday. I'm not going to be able to make it, but believe me, if I could, I would be there. And I know you're going to be wonderful. And I know I'm going to see you again. And I never did see her again. I never spoke to her again. Our conversation on, on that phone was probably less than a minute and 30 seconds, but I cannot tell you how much it meant for me to have, you know, this kid who was working, you know, this merchandise job and all of this to have someone of that level see me and respect me on her level. And it, it, it took her no time to do that. So it's my hope that I can do that for other people and be present and see and value the work that others are doing. And I think that that's something that we should all try to do for other people right there. Beautifully said. Yeah. Couldn't agree anymore. That's, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's uh, I know that that's going to encourage people and uh, we need more of that in these days for sure. So 
lay some links on us now as far as, you know, uh, where can people find your show? I'm sure it's, you know, I know it's on Absolutely. Apple Podcasts and Spotify, all the streaming platforms, but. It uh, is. So w- wherever you are listening to this podcast right now, I am quite confident if you search Vanishing Postcards, it will come up. So we're on Apple, Spotify, Google, we're, we're pretty much everywhere. So just search Vanishing Postcards. I would be most honored um, if you could give it a listen. Uh, if you're curious to uh, see some companion photos of any of the places that we visit, some more behind the scenes information, um, you can find us on Instagram. Just search Vanishing Postcards. Uh, we're Vanishing underscore Postcards. And uh, we would love to have, I'd love to have you along for this ride. Um, so much of this trip for me was as a solo traveler. And uh, it's so wonderful that I can now invite people to experience all of this with me now. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, you are listening to a podcast right now. So what is one more, right? Hop on over, find Vanishing Postcards and give it a listen. And, uh, you know, send some encouragement Evan's way uh, for the work that he's doing. And um, I think everybody wins then at the end of the day. So, man, Evan, this has been great. Uh, I'm I'm. I love that, you know, I get to meet new people and find new projects that people are doing uh, and and just be encouraged by that work as well. So thank you so much for our time today. Hey, Mike, thank you. Believe me, the honor has been all mine. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.